We've got some work to do, and God is preparing us for it, so let's get started and ask God to help us with prayer. Father, we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit this morning. We sing songs to you, God, to stir our faith. We sing so that we would be in one accord, one mind, one heart, one body. And you speak to us. You give us, Lord, prophetic words. You give us directives. So now, Lord, plant this seed deep in our hearts that it may sprout and that it may flourish and bear fruit of a good work in us for this hour and for this day. Help us to understand what you want us to see and know in this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in 2 Kings this morning, chapter 6. The Lord spoke to my heart about this story. You may be aware of it, you may be not, but it's a very simple story. It's about Elisha, who becomes the prophet after Elijah. Some call him Elisha, so that you can distinguish between the two. Uh, and so let me share this story with you. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, go. Then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. And he said, all right, I'll go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? When he showed in the place, he cut off a stick and threw it there and made the iron float, or the axe head to float. He then said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. That's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? I don't know if you understand physics and water and iron, but a metal axe head in water will sink to the bottom. So what's the story behind all this? I, I believe that there's a richness in this story, and I also believe there's a prophetic significance for us today. So what happened is, is that, uh, well, let's start at the beginning. By this time, there were six schools of the prophets. The school of the prophets was started by Samuel. Do you remember Samuel? Little Samuel that God woke up when he was a boy? and raised him up as a prophet. It was the time between the judges and the kings. And Samuel was that prophet before they started having kings that, that was the one that established the school of the prophets, raising up those who would call Israel back to the law, back to God. They would uh, make sure that Israel was staying clean and pure before the Lord. And so as these prophets would declare the word of the Lord, Schools developed to train and to teach people in the realm of the prophetic. Now, we understand that the realm of the prophetic is that active presence of God. You are used prophetically every day because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And many times that unction of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to be a prophet, whether you're at McDonald's or maybe you step it up and go to Wendy's. Maybe you're at Tubby's, maybe you're at Myers, maybe you're at Walgreen, a few of you at Macy's. Anyways, we speak prophetically. Now, you would say, well, I don't speak in tongues to other people, and I don't stand at the middle of the store and go, thus saith God. 
You don't have to. Prophetically means simply being moved by God's Spirit. It could be a good morning. You look lovely today. It could be, are you all right? Do you need prayer? It could be any kind of an unction that the Lord has you speak. And the key to it is that it is empowered or as the Spirit gives you unction to do this. I have heard and seen in many occasions where people's lives have changed by a simple word that someone gave to them, a simple gift that they offer, a simple second chance that they go back and say, geez, I feel prompted by God to ask you this. That's the prophets, and we're the school of the prophets. It could be to the nth degree where God gives you a word of knowledge for someone, where God says, you know, I really feel strong that you need to do this, and it is right on. There's sometimes God would speak to you, especially if you move in the gift of the prophetic, where you're able to really begin to read people's mail. And I don't mean their literal mail, but I mean what's going on in their lives. And I believe that the church in this day and age needs to go back to becoming a school for the prophets. We need to believe in this day and age that we need to move prophetically. There's one thing to do evangelism, which is great, but prophetic evangelism is even more powerful. That where you're not only just sowing seed wherever, which is what evangelism should be, always casting that seed, but you're also harvesting. You're going to that field that's white as snow, speaking that word that will pluck that fruit and ready it for the kingdom. Does that make sense to you? So Samuel started the kingdom, uh, the, the school of the prophets, and then the greatest prophet came along, Elijah, and he developed the school of the prophets into these six schools at Ramah, at Bethel, at Gilgal, at Jericho, at Carmel, and Samaria. And so he would make the rounds to these prophetic schools, and in between we're reading in the book of Kings all the wonderful and amazing miracles that Elijah did. And what that did was it began to bolster and build up the ministry of the prophetic. And I want to tell you, wherever the ministry of the prophetic is, the enemy attacks. The enemy does not want prophetic. The enemy would rather have you lean upon your abilities to reach God instead of God's active presence in the midst of the camp. So he wants to eliminate that and bring in a religious spirit. And that's happened in the church in America. We've lost the prophetic unction to going back to a rote discipline. And there's nothing wrong with discipline, but please understand what I'm saying. In the 20th century, the charismatic movement rolled in. There was great outpouring, and the church discovered the prophetic presence of God. See, because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of whom? Jesus. The testimony, the presence of Jesus. When we come together, when we worship... The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is in the congregation with the brethren singing to the Father. His presence is here. We want His presence here. But something happened from the early 1900s to the 2000s where we we brought this prophetic wave in and all this amazing stuff in the Spirit, but now it's cooled down to become something of routine for us. And that presence is missing. We want to get it back. And so God used Elijah and the signs and wonders he performed to build up the school of the prophets. And when the enemy hates the prophetic, it sends one to infiltrate. And who was the nemesis of Elijah? 
Anybody remember her name? Jezebel. A Jezebel spirit hates the prophetic. And a Jezebel spirit is after the one thing, to pervert a prophetic presence of Christ. In fact, it was a problem in the book of Revelation in one of the churches. Jesus said, there is the spirit, that woman Jezebel lies in bed with the church leaders. And so it perverts. And Elijah's nemesis and worst enemy was Jezebel. Elijah had no problem killing the prophets of Baal. He killed 500 at once. That's amazing, isn't it? They had taken Israel and perverted their worship. And and Elijah comes for a showdown. He says, all right, we're going to see who the real God of Israel is. And and he tells them to bring a fire and offer to Baal. And they do. And they cut themselves. And he taunts them. Finally, he comes forward and he says, douse the altar with water. And he calls on the God of Elijah to come. and, And God sends fire from heaven. Whoosh. And then Israel says, okay, we choose him. That's our God. Okay, forsake Baal and then kill the the priests of Baal. And they kill them all. And then one lady stands up and says, you're going to get it, Elijah. And who was that lady? Jezebel. And Elijah ran away, scared. He faced 500 at once versus one woman. And he went into a cave, pretty depressed. And then uh, God just fed, fed him some food. God had him chill out, just relax, settle down for a while. Got his composure back. He wanted to die. And he said, I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one left. But if you'll read this portion of Scripture, in these chapters before chapter 6, you'll see that God had Obadiah hide a hundred of these prophets in the cave. So by this time, you had a hundred prophets in the school of the prophets that God had hit. And their influence multiplied to 7,000. God told Elijah, there are 7,000 who have not bowed their knees to Baal. Look at the ratio, right? hundred priests... I mean, a hundred prophets ministered to the place where 7,000 were impacted by that prophetic presence. Do you see the ratio here? And so that's an important part of the prophetic school and what that ministry had accomplished. Well, we know the story, and it was after that that God said, okay, Elijah, you did a good job. We're going to get you a, now a, a newbie coming in to take your place, and that's Elisha or Elisha. Right? He's going to take over. So this is where we pick up our story. And uh, Elijah makes one last circuit to the six schools of the prophets. And as he's going, Elisha comes and follows him. He's his student, walking as a good follower of a rabbi right behind uh, Elisha. And Elijah goes to the school at one place and says, Elijah, stay here. And they prophesy, hey, the Lord's going to take Elijah. And and, and Elisha says, I know, keep it down. And uh, Elijah tells Elisha, stay here. He says, no, I'm following you. And, and I'm thinking that Elijah's saying, look, it, here's one of the schools uh, of the prophets you can teach here. Stay here. And he says, no, I'm staying with you. How many of you know it's better to follow Jesus than what you think you should do? And, and so he's, he's following Elisha. He goes to all the schools. Finally, as they're walking, the, the chariots of fire come down. 
the cherubim come and take Elijah up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire. And Elijah says, I want a double portion of what you have. And Elijah throws him his mantle and says, if you can stay and observe this, you can have it. So he picks up his mantle and he walks, parts the river Jordan, and now has his ministry of prophet. And so what happens is, what would happen if you had a hundred prophets and you doubled, you had a double portion? You would multiply the school of prophets by what? Twice that much, right? So you've got 200 prophets now. And this is where we're at. We're at where the prophets in this location by the Jordan tell Elisha, we've outgrown the school under your administration. Because when there is an active presence of Jesus or the prophetic, same thing, the Spirit of God, what should happen? Life, multiplication, and richness in people's lives. Brothers and sisters, there has been a failure of the church in America. Would you agree? The church is on the decline. This is called a post-Christian era, and that Christianity has no impact in our culture. With this story in mind, and with what I've shared with you, what would be essential to build the church back up? The prophetic school. The church ministering once again a real and active presence of Christ. Not just going to church. Not just reading your Bible. But an active presence of Christ in your life wherever you are. And we need to school ourselves in this prophetic. Are you with me? And that simply means carrying Christ's ministry with you. That's all it means. And we should be used to this. We should know how to do this. We first must learn how to know the presence of Christ. So what we do understand is that the Holy Spirit comes and goes in our lives, right? The Holy Spirit will come in us, and then the Holy Spirit will leave us when He's done using us. Is this correct? It's very incorrect. Why? Where does He abide? How often? So how do we get Him to work and be active? Yeah, submit. We simply... He's here! The school's here! School's in. This isn't summer vacation. We're not at recess, right? So the school of the prophets is here. It's in us. That life is in us. And just as Elizabeth had John the Baptist leap inside her belly at the presence of Christ, the Spirit of God leaps as Christ calls us and commissions us to do things, from the great things to the small things. But we've got to get our eyes off of ourselves And know that we're in a school. So I want to share with you from this story some things that we need to get ready to do and to see. First of all, there needs to be an understanding we're entering into a new season, I believe, for the church. I'm going to share with you what I believe the Spirit is saying to the church. And if I can't speak for the church universal, at least I want to speak for Christ Community Church. And I want to believe that we're in a new era, a new era of growth. I want to believe that as we're coming to the times when Christ is 
coming to return. I had this conversation the other day with my wife, and, and we were talking, and, a, and I was thinking about, you know, 30 years from now, we're going to be 86 years old. Ooh. And I asked her, I said, do you think Jesus is going to return in 30 years? It, pretty potentially, he could. If you look at Israel, where that's at, where the condition of the world's at, and, and the situation, I thought, wow, could we be alive when Jesus returns? This is amazing. And God willing, we would have 30 more years. That's us. I don't know about you. I don't know. We could have two days. Who knows? But I believe we're in a time where we're in an era of growth for the church. This is the time when grace is getting ready to superabound. Because where sin abounds, what will happen? Now, this is a law of the kingdom. And could you say that right now in the United States, sin is abounding? Absolutely without question. Would you agree with me? Then, then biblically, the equation, the physics and the laws of the kingdom of God is that sin is abounding. Therefore, what should we expect to take place any time now? Grace much more abounding. And that grace has to flow through us Uh, that school of the prophets, and I believe it's coming. And so as we're going to be growing and as we're going to be expanding in the kingdom of God, we must do the work. They came to Elisha and they said, we must build onto our housing because we can't fit everybody in this place. The kingdom of God needs to expand, and we don't need to be a debtor to man. We need to build this work. So Elijah said, Go down to the bank, go down and get the workers, go down and have somebody else do it. No, he said, you do it. The school of prophets said, we can each go down and get a log. Well, there you go. Responsibility. How many of you are taking your responsibility to build this kingdom? Can you take a log? Can you win a soul? Let's start there. In 365 days in a year, could each one of us win one soul to Christ? Do you think that's feasible? Is it feasible? Is it possible? It's possible. It's plausible. What would happen right now in this house? Take a look around. Spin your head around, okay? Look around. All right, you see all these? What would happen if we doubled this amount what would happen we've got room for them right now don't we in this in this service we've got room for them so i believe we're headed into a a double portion season i believe we're heading into that time where grace needs to abound but we all need to do our one thing you see collectively they said if we all go down to the jordan and we go get a pole or a a tree, and we bring it back, that's enough for us to add on to this addition. So everybody is responsible to to do the work. You don't pay me to do the work that you should do. It's not how the kingdom of God works. But we've done that in the church. We've turned the pastor to the guy who does it. We pay you to do the work. No, 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 no. And the prophet said no. Now the prophet said, will you go with us? We do want your leadership. We do want your directives. But they were prophets. Could they hear from God? Yes. Could they speak for God? Yes. They just needed leadership and they wanted it. But they said, we will do the work. So brothers and sisters, we're in an era where right now we've got to do the work. 
You've got to reach out. You've got to touch a life. You've got to invite someone to the school of the prophets so that we will grow. Does that make sense? Are you in agreement with me? Amen. Praise God. I'm so excited about that. All right. So now here's the second point. What happened? They had an axe. I don't know how many they had. They could have only had one. Because at this time, the Philistines had clamped down on Israel, and they had an injunction that said, no iron in Israel. Because what do you make out of iron? Weapons. So they neutered Israel from rebelling over their captive, their power. So this prophet, he went and he borrowed an axe head. He didn't have one. And so I don't know where he went, but he got one. And he's chopping down a tree, right? (laughs) And the axe head went flying off the thing, and where did it land? Kabloonk, right in the water. Now, if everybody had an axe, big deal. But this guy said, we borrowed it. It's not even ours. There is a tool that does the work that we need to get done. It is sharp as a double-edged sword, and it is the thing that will cut that we cannot do this work without, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us by God. It is a gift. We don't own Him. He's been given to us for the use of the purposes of the kingdom. Look at what we've done as the church. We've developed the Holy Spirit to do our bidding for what we want. Listen to our prayers. I want this. I want that. I want a bigger this. I want more of that. Do this for me. I want that. How much are we using that tool, that instrument of God, for the sake of the kingdom of God, instead of our own doing? Think about it. It's time for us in this season to begin to stop wanting all of our stuff from God and do the work that God called us to do. Build the kingdom. There are souls out here dying. Don't we have a big enough car? Don't we have a big enough house? Don't we have enough to where we could start inviting others to it? Would you agree with me? Amen. So there's one accent. There's one cutting edge. There's only one tool that saves these souls. There's only one tool that heals the sick. There's only one tool that delivers people out of addiction and demonic power. It's the Holy Spirit that's used in our lives. We're the axe handle, but He is the blade that cuts. We can learn our programs. We can do the best we can, but without the Holy Spirit, we're completely ineffective. Have you ever tried to chop a tree down with an axe handle? Clunk, clunk, clunk. It doesn't work. You can try and bend the tree. You've got all sorts of programs. We could try to snap the tree. We could tie it to our Jeep and pull it. Chariot. Our chariot and pull it. You need the axe head. You need the one thing that was made to save souls. You and I cannot, but we are the handles that he chooses to use through the foolishness of our preaching that some may be saved. And so we need the axe head. And so they acquired the right tool for the right job. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth and below the earth. Now therefore, what? Go and immerse the nations, 
baptizing them, immerse the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, discipling them, teaching them to obey me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. And so we've been given this cutting edge. We are more powerful than the Mormon church. Why? We've got an axe head. We've got the very cutting sword of the Spirit. We are stronger than the Jehovah Witnesses. Why? We've got an axe head. So why are their churches growing? Why is Islam growing? Why are there more atheists than ever before? I think we lost the axe head. You'll know them by their fruits. It's time, and I believe this more than ever, that we've got to figure out where we dropped this axe head. Amen? And it reminds us of a death and resurrection. You see this in church history constantly. You'll see a move of God. You th- consider this. Con- consider this. One of the early, the great awakening came in in the 1700s. The, the first great awakening came in through whom? Presbyterians. Jonathan Edwards, the reformers, right? Came in through the, the Anglican church and the, and, and the Presbyterian church. Where is the Presbyterian church today? Then, of course, the Second Great Awakening and you had Charles uh, Wesley, right? Finney come in. The Wesleyans, the Methodists. The Methodist church was the revival church. Tent meetings, camp meetings, the revival of the Methodists. Where's the Methodists? Right? What's happened? What's happened? And then the Pentecostals came. 1900s, the Pentecostals rise up and great moves of God, restoration of healings, restoration of of the prophetic, restoration of the apostolic and the gifts of God. But where are we today? TV shows and glamour. Rock stars. We all want to be rock stars on a stage. As Pentecost, where's the accent? And it's cooled down to where we don't even have prophecy. We don't have a move of gifts of the Spirit. I had someone visit me this week that uh, that had to move away from from the church, and and they said, Pastor, I can't find a Pentecostal church that operates in gifts. I've been going, and they don't allow tongues, they don't allow prophecy, they don't have any healing lines, they don't do anything. And she'd been to multiple churches. What's happened to the Pentecostal church? We've lost the accent. And so there's always a death, but then there's a resurrection. And that's because what happens is we tend to take it onto ourselves and operate it with us. The work of the Spirit is powerful, swift, mighty, and messy. Wreaks havoc in people's lives. And then what we do is we clean it up. We don't want anybody screaming. We don't want anybody in the aisle. We don't want anybody falling down. We don't want to do this. We'll make it neat and tidy. And then we take over. And what happens? It dies down. It dies down. But any birth of a vision and a dream has to die so that it can be what? Empowered by the resurrection of God. I don't know if any of you have ever had dreams and and goals and they seem to just die and then God breathes life and then you know it's God who does it. How many of you remember Gideon's army? Gideon was excited. I'm a man of valor. God called me. I'm going to go win a war. This is awesome. And he goes out with an army and God says, you know what, split it in half. Tell the guys who are scared to leave. Okay, they leave. And then he says, go drink some water. And he whittles it down to 300 guys. He gives a death to the Gideon's army. How am I supposed to win with 300 guys? You're, uh, 
Now you're catching on. It's not going to be you. The battle is the Lord's. And so this axe head, what happened is they're in the middle of doing the work that they knew they needed to do, but they lose the axe head. And they called to Elijah and said, we're in trouble. We need to pray. Isn't that usually when we pray? When we're in trouble. Somebody should have checked the axe head on the axe handle. They say that you're supposed to oil the handle so it stays uh, uh, full of oil tight on the axe head. But it dried out, it loosened up, and it, it flew off. They didn't pay attention before the problem. Could that be our problem? We're not paying enough attention to ourselves and to the condition we're in. We heard a word this morning, be prepared, get ready. How many of you know when the church is going to cry out to get ready? When the problem's here, when the crisis arises, we need to be praying now. If we're prophetic, hello, we should know what's coming. This is a school of the prophets. Didn't one of them say, hey, check the axe head. It's the only one we got. They were careless, right? All right, so a lesson to be learned. There's a death and a resurrection. Right now, get ready for what? The resurrection. God is going to resurrect his church. Come on, again, do the math. In the last days, the church is going to be without spot or wrinkle, a glorious bride. Read the book of Revelation, and it says that there is going to be a number of people getting saved during these last days, this tribulation time, that is so many and so vast, it's innumerable. You cannot count them. That means that there's going to be such a move of God in the earth, and what is God's vessel to move in the earth? The church that there's going to be such revival and movement that the resurrection of God is coming. So here I gave you two equations. Where sin abounds, what will much more abound? Grace. Grace is coming. And if there's a death of the church in the 21st century, what can you expect? The resurrection of the church. Are you with me? Thank you. So you must take an account, and Elijah says... Okay, Biff, where'd you lose it? Where is it? Show me where you lost it. Now, what does Biff have to do? Uh, 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 I think it was over here. You got to find it. That's what God, that's what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. I have many things to say about you, but there is one problem you've lost. What? Your first love. Can you imagine relegating Christ as second? Can you imagine asking Jesus to play second fiddle? And in in reality, the second fiddle He plays to is not our job, our children, our family. It's us, ultimately, because we choose. 
So many of us this morning, may the Spirit of God convict your soul and my soul. Many of us have asked Jesus to play second fiddle to us. Where did you lose the cutting edge? Where did you lose the zeal? Where did you lose the fervor? Do you remember? Do you remember when you were able to cut the enemy down? Do you remember when you read the Word and it excited you? Do you remember when you felt the move of God's Spirit till you had to pull the car over because you were weeping? Do you remember the passion you had for Christ? Do you remember where did you lose it? So the man had to go and he said, it was over here, Elijah. It was right here. It was right here. We don't get, I mean, this is six verses. We don't get the whole story, but at what point did the man get careless? I have an axe at home in my garage because I'd split logs for my little backyard fire. And uh, actually, this fits well. It's not even my axe. It's my neighbor Bill's. (laughs) I borrowed his axe. He lets me keep it in my garage. (laughs) Now, Bill's axe keeps sliding off the handle. And so after every slam and chop, I hit the handle on the ground. Boom. So it goes back on. You would think Biff would secure it better. I think I'm going to do that when I get home today. (laughs) So I'm thinking, at what point did this guy become careless? And you and I, at what point in our labors and in our good works and in all that we're doing, did we lose the care of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Where's the place of origin that we've been stumbling over? Well, we've got programs and we've got everything else, but what we've lost as the church is our passion Our first love. And where did we lose it? Was it in a building program? Was it it in our attendance? Was it in relationships of other people? There's one relationship that takes precedence in this room. It's Him. It's Him. Now, Elisha, this is an interesting thing, Elisha takes a branch Now, I don't know, did he carve this branch? Did he simply take a branch and throw it in the water? I think there's more to it than this. It doesn't say. We have no idea. I'm purely speculating. But could he have? He didn't take the handle that the guy had and lost the axe handle with. Because it's time for a new season. And he carved, I think, a new handle. And it says he threw it in the water. And the axe had floated. Now, it could be that that handle, whatever it was, it was miraculous, okay? So when you're in the miraculous, it can be anything God wants to do. So there's a couple ideas. One is he threw it into the water, it floats, and the axe head came to it. The Holy Spirit will go to an open vessel, The Holy Spirit will go when someone has carved themselves and prepared a place for His work. The Holy Spirit will go to one who wants them. Knock, 
and it will be open. Seek, and you will find. Ask, and God will give. Earnestly covet the greater gifts. God wants a handle. God wants a heart that says, Holy Spirit, use me. He threw that thing on the water, and as it's floating, the axe head came to it. That's awesome. Tired of that same old grind of person who wouldn't take care of him. But he came to a heart that was ready. The other idea, quite possibly, if we're going for the miraculous, let's go all the way, could be that he carved this thing, he threw it, and that thing went, boom, right into the axe head and floated up. That's awesome. Either way, I believe it's coming. It's coming. What can I do to stir you to be the readied handle for the gifts of the Spirit? To be the one ready to receive that outpouring of a new cutting edge, a new season in your life. Oh, it's going to mess everything up that you had so neatly packaged. Everything you had planned. Folks had planned their retirement, their 1045K P21 thing. I don't know what they are now. They're not worth anything anymore. And uh, all your plans, everything you've wanted and set in order, and this grandkid's here, and that person's here, and I can't do this. I met with Bill and Karen Strong the other day, former members of this church for many years. Uh, They're in their 50s now, kids, grandkids on the way. God called them to the Sudan. They're leaving to go minister as missionaries in the Sudan. This was not on their radar. But they were a handle floating on the water that God cast in and the axe had slammed into them and now there's a whole new adventure. You should hear how excited they are. And God prepared their kids and their grandkids and it's okay with them because the call on their life has brought such joy that now the kids and the grandkids are helping them raise the money to go to the Sudan. Now this is not a vacation, folks. You don't go to the Sudan to say, Party! It's a troubled spot. But when you have an axe head that is sharper than any two-edged sword and you want to be the handle and you say, send me where you want me. I'm telling you it's coming. It's coming. And the restoration, the resurrection, the grace that's coming and the last, oh no, number six, sorry. (laughs) A new handle, a new leader. The last is this. He tells the man, you pick it up. Man had to go out into the water and pick up the new axe handle and the new axe and get back to work. There's a restoration coming, brothers and sisters, that I believe. And I want to ask you, are you ready? Are we prepared? Do you want to be that handle, that sharp-edged sword is going to attach to? I want to be. I want to be so ready I want to find out where I lost it. I want to be recut by God. I want to be reshaped for this new thing. Can I tell you, stop looking for the former things. Older folks here, you've been in moves of God. You remember when they moved. You've been in services where God moved. You remember prayers answered. You remembered all those things. And so you're you're looking for the things of God by the old axe handle. Get rid of it. Stop it. The next wave doesn't have to look like it did in the 70s or the 90s or early 2000s. God's carving a new handle. God's carving a new work that his axe head's going to go to. 
It doesn't have to look like it was. So when young people come up or some move of God starts and you go, well, that's not the move of God that I know, you're right! It's not! So get into this move and pick it up. Take this move of God that's coming. A resurrection, an abounding grace, and get ready because it's coming. Bow your heads with me. Father God, let the power of your Holy 